0: Hi, listeners, and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I am your host, Dr George Talophoris, and on today's episode, we're talking about individual living options and how people with disabilities can have more control over where we live and who we live with to help us understand what's possible through individual living options. We're joined by Summer Foundation's Upskill lead, Linda Hughes, and Terry Muller, CEO of Supports. Hi Linda and Terry, thanks for joining us.
1: Not a problem, thanks sir.
0: Our pleasure. So this was thought that the MDIS could not have any more acronyms. We have a new one, ILO, Individualized Limit Options. That's what we're here to talk about, guys. So Linda, can I start with you? What kind of options are we really talking about here?
1: Well, I think I like to say the I is for individual because um, quite often we sort of fall into the independent, the SIL sort of acronym. So I always start with thinking about the I is for individual when we look talking about ILO, the acronym. Um, and I think that it's really, that's key. It's actually when we start with the person themselves and we plan the support and their, their lifestyle around that person as opposed to perhaps the more traditional approach, which is um, more a managerial approach to managing the support needs of a few people.
0: Okay, so really interesting what the individual wants. It's not, it's not about the system, it's not about the support, it's about the person. That's that's exciting. That's what I like to hear. And you're very passionate, Linda, about ILO. Can
1: you tell us why? Oh, just I do. I just love it as an alternative. Uh George, you know I'm the parent of a of a young man. or he's twenty eight now, so you know, he's still a young man to me. Um, And he's uh, living in his own individual, in a way that's individual for him. And I think that I've always had in mind, since he was really young, that, you know, I wanted to have that my son Jacob would be living in a, in a situation that was suited to him. And uh, that was uh, focused around him. I didn't ever think, gee, uh, you know, Jake would have to go to a group home or an institution or anything like that. I always had this plan in mind and not just me, but our family and Jake's networks have always had this idea that an individual situation with um, perhaps him sharing or, you know, something that suits him, but, you know, in the early days, we didn't know what it would look like. We just knew we wanted something different than, than to what's offered to uh, traditionally to people with disabilities. So, I think that's where we, that's why I'm passionate about it because um, ILO offers that that avenue, that pathway to something that's far, far more, I think, attractive and holistic and interesting than what our disability services have served up traditionally.
0: Okay, I might get back to Jake and his arrangement shortly, but I might turn to Terry now. Terry, you're from my support, your organisation, has been supporting people with ILO arrangements for a while now, haven't you? Yes, we have. Tell us, what do you do? How do you help people and what kind of arrangements have you been supporting
2: people to put in place? Yeah, look, um look what I I just to re-emphasize Linda's words around the flexibility and the individualization, the individual uh element of the ILO design and the arrangements. People who have the lived experience kind of get it a lot easier than perhaps, let me say, traditional providers. Like, for example, I myself, I'm in a wheelchair. I had an accident when I was 15, and I'm, I don't want to tell you how old I were and now, but I'll let you do the maths, but that was in '82. 82. In 82, 1982, people thought different. My mum was told that Terry would have to stay at home with you, and but if you have trouble coping... There's a, there's a centre in Perth, the city I lived, called the Quad Centre, and you could go and live there. And there lived about 35, 40 other people with spinal injuries, and essentially it was like an extension. That's been the options, just like uh, Linda was kind of sketching out, and ILOs give a lot more options for people who need a level of support but want to live on their terms, want to live how they want to live, how the rest of people in society live. Where everybody has the different options to share or live alone or live with people they uh, they trust
0: oh, yeah, so what I really like about what you're saying is it's really about breaking down the the group home model it's you know the idea of sending everyone who needs you know twenty four seven support to to live in a institutional environment. ILO is really about saying, no, let's look at other ways of, of, uh, of living, ways that are in line with
2: your interest in how you want to live. That's right. And that in, right? Terms of the, in terms of the process, uh, that's where the actual conversation starts, uh, George. It's about understanding how that person or how the client, in our case, uh, when putting my my support's hat on at the moment, we start that conversation with the, with the client. The coordinator is also very important, the rest of the family, about how that individual would like to live. And often we remind people, look, you have other children you have who may perhaps do not have a disability. What's been the process for them? And often you see lots of things come into play like suburbs you like what you're doing externally if you're following a study or a work program or if you're working um, the level of support you may need, whether your economics like uh lots of people who when they first move out of home do some type of sharing arrangement to help pay the bills so we go through that process which looks almost identical to anybody who wants to move out of at home when they first get away, using that as an example. And after some discussions, we hope to come to something that looks like how that person would like to live, and then we work how the funding fits in with that. So we put mm, one way around. I like it. I like it because
0: it's really around, like we talked about before, that we start with the, the goals or how that person wants to live. That's right. And then we find out, well, what is it that we need to put around that person to, to make that goal a, a reality. I, I like that. Uh,
2: yep, but, and, oh, let's, let's go back to Linda then. Oh, sorry, Terry. Well, I was just was going want to, to say something? that, look, the final thing I'll mention on, on and how my supports work is um, we we do emphasize the working with coordinators, coordinators who have a longer, deeper knowledge of the client, who've maybe known the client for years and the families and um, understand just the, the the complexities that might be there because often housing and where you want to live has been a background discussion in a lot of things going on. And so we try and plug into those insights and that knowledge. That's probably a little bit of the, uh, the emphasis of our model. That's really interesting because
0: what I'm hearing you say there is that whoever is involved in supporting that person to do this important work, that they need to be very well grounded and experienced in that person and 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 what that person, has. guess, I do want to leave. It's not something that a, a new person could necessarily pick up terribly easily. Is that right? Exactly. Well, on that note, uh, Linda, you know your son, Jake, very well. <laughs> yep. And uh, I sense that, uh, that that you were heavily involved in in setting out what was not technically ILO because you've been doing it before ILO was even a thing, but it's an ILO type arrangement. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of the, I suppose, some of the things that we, you know, we thinking about, um, sort of, you know, when, as my son sort of started in his 20, you know, his twenties, it became really obvious that he really liked it when I went away <laughs> and, um, I'd come back and he's a bit like, ah, you again, you know. (laughs) And so we could really get this sense that Jake was really enjoying his time away from me. He was enjoying going out in the evenings. There was just lots of things where we could see that, you know, he was a young man, a grown up and really ripe for that sort of next stage of adult life, which was sort of leaving home In, in our situation our family home is really well modified for Jacob and his support needs so it just made more sense for me to leave home so I did and um but it was there was a lot of planning i think that we spent about a year really working out what would work for Jacob uh Jake's Jake's got difficulty with communication so it's you know there's a lot of that that as Terry said it's really about knowing Jake really well and you know he's yeah. social so we knew that he would really enjoy sharing with other people. One of the things he likes to do in the evening is chill out in front of the telly so we sort of knew that when Jake shares he needs to be sharing with someone who likes watching The Bachelor and those sort of shows you know reality. Oh, oh, fast, isn't it? Yeah. So it's sort of really kind of thinking about you know what would sort of yeah how would we find the housemates that would be really suited and also the other thing that we really spent a lot of time on with safeguards to make sure that you know that Jake wasn't left in a you know in a vulnerable situation um, and that there was sort of plenty of lots and lots of things going on that sort of meant that Jake would be you know safe I suppose that in that situation and that includes around you know managing his complex health and and a range of various things. So, you know, I had to feel comfortable and, um, with the plan as well. So it took, a lot, it took a while to really unpack what would work. And, you know, it's a bit of a work in progress even as, as I speak now.
0: Okay. So effectively what we have in Jake is a, an arrangement which is about uh, sharing his home with someone in exchange for someone being around. Yeah. to effectively uh, mean that he doesn't need a support worker like there 24-7. Is that right?
1: He, Jake needs someone around 24-7. He doesn't need active support 24-7. So, you know, when he's chilling out watching TV, as most people when they chill out watching TV, they're just sitting on the sofa so it's not if there was a fire jacob needs someone to take them with him you know take take him out of the house he doesn't have great independent mobility there's some things like around his uh once again his complex health that you know if something arose that he would need someone there to to uh provide some assistance or call for help or you know but it's quite often it's just that sort of someone else there to just 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 to provide support as needed and it's not onerous or it's not uh, personal care support, it's just really being there.
0: Absolutely. It it sounds like um, it it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Um, Terry, can I ask you, I'd like to just dig a bit deeper into the different kinds of arrangements. The one that that Linda talked about is a bit of a, a house sharing arrangement. But I was looking at the website and it's like, there are nine different types of options that you put forward. I'm sure there's even more than that. But can you talk us through some of the, the main types of arrangements that you've supported people
2: to set up? Yep, certainly. Well, look, obviously, it starts with the individual. But what you often find is people like to share, and there's lots of different ways to share. What's popular, some of the popular arrangements are around hosts. That's where someone with a disability goes and lives with somebody who has perhaps a larger house and wants to share their life, share their home, and that's provided by the host. So that's a host arrangement. What's also increasingly popular is uh, people with, who are perhaps participants in the NDIS meeting each other via different work programs or social programs or even people who know each other from a group home and saying, look, let's go out and share together and because we get along we share a lot of interest and so the arrangement starts with how those uh, individuals want to share together and that can be two three or four even can be quite large Uh, the frat houses as I call them uh, once you get up to four four young blokes who working on an ILO where four young blokes uh, discussing uh, living together I call that the frat house there's people who perhaps need some more directed support so you might might have read about co-residents, so that's where a person with a disability has their own home and uh, somebody comes and lives with them and provides that level of support. Um, There's family arrangements where people do want to live with families, but there's an additional level of support needed around that to make sure that's sustainable and safe. Under the current MDIs, there's also living alone arrangements where people do want to live alone, but um, perhaps need some support of a friendly neighbour or some or some really well-structured drop-in supports to keep everything on track. There's some of the arrangements that we've seen and we've been arranging.
0: I'm serious about this flat house. <laughs> right, but maybe because I've seen all the movies. No, not really. Um, maybe because I'm and am thinking there might be some listeners saying what for people with disabilities living together, that's a group home, isn't this about alternatives? Uh, what, what would you say to them who are thinking of that now?
2: How is a how fat house any different to a group home? Well, look, uh, that's only uh, there's one arrangement. Most of those sharing arrangements is just with two people who meet each other through some social and want to share together. So that's kind of the standard sharing arrangement. I guess, uh, George, I was we're just working on these arrangements where there's four young men who know each other and they want to oh. share together. And you know what? They're young men and it reminded me of a lot of what I saw when I was younger and people, you know, when you move out of home, sometimes you do share in those type of arrangements, a little bit chaotic, a little bit looser, you might just have, you know, to afford the rent, you get three or four of you together. I think four is an extreme, but uh, I haven't seen – that's only this one arrangement. I don't want to give them the impression it's kind of standard. But look, I'm doing I'll just want,
0: I'll just, Can I add something
2: to it? Go ahead. What I'm going to say, though,
0: and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the difference here is that these men were in charge they made that choice and and effectively they're the boss. So it's not about a provider. It's not about them going to a provider and moving into the provider's house. This is them coming together, setting up a share house and then working it out
2: on their terms. Is that right? You got it. You got it, George. You've obviously know. You've obviously been to a few few group homes in your time, um, and <laughs> even the best group homes can have an odd, a bit of a feeling that you're living in someone else's workplace, because you know the stresses and strains of running that home, the staff coming in and out. It's a provider responsible for that house, who owns that house. You, the research report show that. Often people don't necessarily feel it's their home. And I think what you're saying there is what people look for in those sharing arrangements about ILO. They're not looking for someone to saying lights off at 10 o'clock. They're not looking for saying that you can't have other people sleeping on the couch. They're looking for somebody to say, look, I know we don't normally go to McDonald's on the Wednesday, but we really want to. You're looking for that freedom and you're looking for that individual element. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think that is the key, the freedom and the the, the individuality
0: of the option. Linda Terry, I'm interested in both of your views on this. and There are probably uh, support coordinators who are listening to this who are getting quite excited and want to work out sort of what their role is in uh, helping people to set up these, these types of arrangements. Can you talk us through the role of the support coordinator and, and how how they can help people.
1: Yeah. Is that for me, Terry? Uh, for, for me, George?
0: Oh, I'm,
2: I'm interested in hearing from both oh, of Oh, okay.
1: It. Do you want to go first, Terry, or shall I?
2: Uh, you go first, Linda.
1: Yeah, okay. So I think as a support coordinator, I think you you really have to kind of really readjust your thinking on on support so the first thing you have to do is sort of throw out any sort of models that that come with sil that we're all sort of become quite familiar with we've become quite familiar with over the years so i think the first thing to do is sort of almost free your mind of um of the traditional ways of supporting people so
2: I was saying good advice. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So free your
1: mind of that. And actually, I would be really encouraging support coordinators to get really well informed about individual living options. I think one of the tricky things in discussing with people I've worked with as support coordinators is that we don't have a lot of good examples of this on the ground. So I'm always really trying to sort of show people, you know, where there might be some resources, where you can actually see a bit of a snapshot of someone living in their own place. You know, there is a few resources. Resources around. Adam moves out is a terrific resource to sort of thinking about the process of, of uh, setting up an ILO sort of arrangement. but just really having that sort of opportunity to see what it could look like because we've just become so sort of uh, familiar with the group home uh, structure. And so it can be hard to sort of think about how it could be somewhat different. And I think the other thing about it is actually just thinking about how most people with who don't have a disability, have their housing and support arrangements set up. And I and I say that we all, you know, we people need support from each other. We're all interdependent and actually thinking about how everybody else lives and actually trying to sort of really use that kind of framework and understanding to apply it to the people you're supporting if you're a support coordinator.
2: That's rather biased, Terrence. Yeah, so look, how we work is... Um, uh, Coordinated, uh, we encourage coordinators to contact us. There's usually uh, a little bit of there's some phone conversations about the arrangement. So there's a bit of, I guess, an arrangement discussion. Once the once we feel the, the between the coordinator and our ILO team, there's a little bit of a, There's we've given some direction. What we ask the the coordinator is on our website. Uh, we have what we call our starting questions. Uh, form, and so that's a list of questions which stimulate the coordinator but also allows us to get that level of deep knowledge around the situation based on that, we do a draft proposal, how it could look, and that's really just a discussion to get things get things on paper to have a bit more of a discussion. Usually, there's a bit of back and forward around that once we feel there's something there. We put that up into a proposal to the NDAA. We submit that to the NDAA. When we've submit that, we start working on the ILO partners. So there's often a need for a host or a co-resident or perhaps somebody would like to share with somebody but doesn't necessarily know who they'd like to share with yet. We start working around who that could be because that's the role of the ILO provider as well to find those, those partners. And then uh, once we got that all together, hopefully we get an approval from the NDIA and then we sit down and we work out an implementation plan and putting everything in place. So that's a really quick snapshot, George. So I'm just trying
0: to get my head around the technicalities. I know that there is a a line item now in the NDIA's price guide called Individual Living Options exploration and design, yep. is that effectively a line item that allows a person to purchase support coordination that will then be used
2: to develop an ILO? Yeah, that's right. So you've noted you, what you're referring there, George, obviously is in the current uh, price guide, there's two ILO elements. There's the design element and then they what call the service model. Which uh, and the design element is the research, the discussions, the exploration of what ILO may suit, and then the second one uh, is putting it in place. What we do at my supports is we focus on the second element, and what we encourage is coordinators to use that first element, so they have the hours to go on that journey with the client because they're starting from as we started talking about. They're the ones who know the client over the longer term. They know the the details. And working with us, coordinators can get up to speed with the technicalities and we worry about – we do the application into the NDIA. So we know the ins and outs of the ILOs, but the key element is knowing the ins and outs of the person. And that's why we encourage coordinators to use those design hours. There can either be 20, 50, can be quite some hours available for the coordinator to take that on. And then what we do as the ILO provider, we do the ILO model itself, the service model. So we put in in place the different supports and the arrangement that uh, the ILO requires.
0: Yeah, that's really, really helpful information. And just to summarise, I think the, the take-home message there is that the support coordinators, when they go into a plan review, if the person wants to develop an ILO that then make sure that they have those two items in the person's plan so that when the plan comes through, they can then start working with the person and with an ILO provider like yours or someone else to to put it into into action. Exactly. Fantastic. It sounds like it's it's pretty much a reality. I, I, I um I understand that currently the NDIA is finalizing some guidelines that they're gonna have available towards the end of November of 2020, which is not far away for us, um, and so people will be able to learn more when that comes out. Linda and Terry, before we finish up, if someone is interested in setting up an ILO, what should they do now? What's the, what's the first step they can do?
2: You go first, Linda. Okay.
1: Yeah, I look, I think the first step is, uh, well, it's pretty much, um, as uh, as Terry said, I'd be talking to my support coordinator. I'd be, uh, if I was looking at an ILO, my sp- I'd be um, talking to the support coordinator. I'd be looking at, you know, when when's your plan review. It'd be really important to have a housing or a, a goal around living individually, I think would be sort of another really important key thing to get the funding in your plan. Yeah. Um, and really, sort of having a chat to support coordinators who who understand this and um, or are really prepared to go on a learning journey with you, and particularly if it's a support coordinator who really knows you well already, as uh, Terry was saying, you know that's the person who um, who already has a big head start in understanding what might work for you and understanding your support needs
2: that. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. to, to, to absolutely agree with that. I would uh, start those discussions with your coordinator. Uh, ask your coordinator to reach out some to some ILO providers to present you with some ideas and to assist with the technical nature, of the applications into the NDIA. That's definitely an area that that coordinator will need to plug into and be prepared for a little bit of a discussion around what to do and um, and then have confidence that um, the NDI will listen and want to fund your steps to live in individually and independently. Absolutely, because it's a win-win situation,
0: isn't it? The, uh, the, you, as a participant, benefit from a, an individualised you know, plan, and the NDI wins because, hey, they're going to save money if this is done properly. Um, and the outcomes are going to be a lot more positive for everyone. Sorry, Terry, what did you say?
2: No, no, I'm. I was just uh, nodding in agreement, but I maybe made a verbal nod there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Terry. It's been really great having both yourself, Terry, and Linda on the show. Thank you for your time, and I I look forward to having you on the show again in the future. It's been a, Thanks been a lot, nice George. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thanks, George.
0: That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our website for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also love hearing from you, so please contact us. with your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable.